Scott Hughes, a Rome Foundation Drossman Care podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly series, Dr. Drossman and I are frequently joined by guests as we discuss disorders of gut-brain interaction, their diagnosis and treatment, and of course, patient-provider communication skills, trainings, and tips that are helpful for patients and doctors alike. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today, we are joined by two of our experts in the field of GI. They are Dr. Sarah Ballou and Dr. Anthony Lenbo. And today, we're going to be talking about something that's really, really interesting and something that um, both of our guests are experts in, and that is the idea of placebo and nocebo. And what does that mean for patients with disorders of gut-brain interaction. So we were going to talk about that today. So hello, Dr. Drossman, and hello to Dr. Ballou and Dr. Lembo, too. Hey, Johanna. Hi, Sarah and Tony. So glad to have you here. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they, uh, Sarah and Tony work together, and uh, I just introduced them. Um, Tony is Professor of Medicine, Director of GI Motility, and Functional Bowel Disorders at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center at Harvard Medical School. And Dr. Sarah Ballou is Assistant Professor and the Director of GI Psychology at the same institution, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center at Harvard Medical School. So they work together clinically and in their research, and we're gonna get to that. But let me start with you, Sarah. What do we mean for our audience of what is placebo, what is nocebo, how does it relate to clinical care and to our patients? Sure. So um, a placebo treatment would be any treatment that um, has an inactive ingredient. So for example, a sugar pill is what we might think of most readily. And response to placebo would be when a patient experiences improvement in symptoms or clinical benefit from the inactive treatment. Um, nocebo would be, we consider that the evil twin of placebo, where you might take an inactive treatment, take a sugar pill, for example, but then experience side effects. Um, so instead of experience, experiencing clinical benefit or improvement in symptoms, you actually get headaches or fatigue, um, even though what you took had no active ingredient. Yeah, I can see it both ways with my patients. Some, my, some of my patients will say, I know this drug isn't going to work. And Sure enough, it doesn't, and vice versa. Tony, you have really spearheaded a lot of the original research going back uh, maybe 15 years or so at this point. Can you tell us how you got into it and what it was all about back then? Sure. Um, so I got interested in placebo when I met um, a colleague, Ted Kapchuk, uh, who has dedicated most of his career uh, to studying placebo and has actually founded a, a center of placebo research uh, at the Beth Israel Deaconess. Um, so initially we got interested in, in, in doing a study in irritable bowel syndrome because uh, it's a disorder that's associated with a very high placebo response rate in clinical trials. And looking at meta-analyses 
uh, of large amounts of clinical trials, depending on the endpoint, of course, but using a global measure, in other words, a measure that asks patients, how in general do you feel? Have you had an adequate relief of your symptoms? You'd see a placebo response rate on average or about 40%. It can vary up to about 70% in some clinical trials. Uh, so we were interested in, in first seeing um, if we could deconstruct some of the components of the placebo, because we know that there are a lot of uh, factors that contribute to why someone may respond to have a placebo response uh, in a clinical trial. And so we uh, designed a trial that broke down the placebo effect into, into the doctor-patient interaction or the clinician-patient interaction, uh, as well as receiving a placebo treatment. In this case, it was uh, placebo acupuncture. And so we gave um, we had three different groups. One group got a very augmented or patient-centered uh, interaction. And in this case, they were met with a acupuncturist a couple of times a week for a total of six weeks. So they had a lot of interaction as well as meeting with me uh, for a couple of those visits uh, during the study uh, versus a second group that got a more disease-centered um, interaction. And, um, and then the third group had no interaction, just, had, just filled out the questionnaires. So we had three different groups. And we were able to show uh, that there was a uh, difference in the two groups that had the, uh, the clinician-patient interaction versus the no treatment or the waitlist group, suggesting that that, uh, that the interaction is that the placebo acupuncture as well as the interaction is important. And we were able to show a significant difference between the disease-centered um, versus the limited or the um, uh, patient-centered uh, patient approach. So the patient-centered approach did much better than the disease-centered approach. And the time difference was minimal. It was about 30 minutes over the, over the six weeks. So that was our first foray into it, again, showing that uh, the doctor-patient interaction is an important part of the placebo response. Uh, our second foray into the, into the placebo is looking at the role of open-label placebo. And this turned out to be an important clinical question, as well as research uh, question in the placebo world, because uh, we know that if in a double-blind trial where patients uh, think that they may be getting a, an active treatment, so in other words, have that expectation that they're going to receive an active treatment, which in most cases, patients are very eager to participate in a trial. Uh, but if we took that away and just gave them a placebo, told them it was placebo, we still uh, tried to increase the expectation, telling the patients that uh, we know in clinical trials that about 40% of patients can get better if they receive a placebo yet have no real side effects associated with it. And there we were able to show that compared to a weightless group that patients that got an open label placebo over a three week period of time had uh, significant what we think was clinically meaningful improvement in uh, the symptoms. And so we're really excited by that uh, those findings, which were really quite novel uh, at the time, but since been replicated in other disorders, including lower back pain, migraines, chronic fatigue, among others, uh, showing again that open-label placebo can be more effective than uh, waitlist uh, type of control. And, and that led to our most recent trial where we compared open-label placebo to a double-blind placebo uh, in, in, uh, in a clinical trial. Again, we had, so we had uh, four different groups, open-label, double-blind, or in this case was peppermint to make sure it was, they thought that we get an active treatment of waitlist control. And we were able to show there as well that open-label placebo is more effective than a 
weightless control, this time over a six-week period of time in a much larger patient population. And also quite interesting that open label was similar in efficacy to a double-blind placebo. So that summarizes our research. I'm sorry to occupy so much of our time. uh, A tremendous amount of work. And just (laughs) for people out there, open label means the patient knows they're getting placebo, and yet they still get better. Double-blind means neither the doctor nor the patient know what the treatment is. Um, Sarah or or Tony, Sarah, let me, how do you explain if someone knows that they're getting placebo that they still do better? Do we have any way of knowing that? I think that's the, that's the million dollar question. So we, you know, traditionally people often think that in order to benefit from placebo, you have to think that um, it actually is an active medication or might be an active medication. Um, so why would somebody benefit from taking placebo and know that it's that it's an inactive substance? Um, so I think there's still a lot, there's more questions there than there are answers at this point, but we can draw on um, some of the research that's been done in double blind and how people why we think people get better um, in double blind placebo and some of the psychological characteristics that we've seen have been, Um, openness to new experience and people who maybe are more um, expect to get better or hope to get better might be more likely to benefit from double blind placebo. I think we still need to see if that's the true, if that's true for open label. Um, But, you know, there's, that's a good question. And we still, we need to figure out how do people get better on open label placebo. And we learned that the doctor patient relationship is important here because it can have powerful effect on treatment is, so is that a placebo? Yeah, we consider it um, part of the placebo effect. It's a not, we call it a non-specific effect, uh, but that would be considered part of it. Um, so when you go to see a, uh, a clinician, um, you know, there is, you do get a placebo effect partly from the relationship um, that you establish. And remember, for most of medicine prior to the advent of clinical trials, I mean, most treatments that were given uh, were not really very effective at all. Uh, yet many patients receive benefit, at least based on symptoms. And be clear that this is, it's not going to uh, change someone's cancer. We would never give placebo for cancer or for a growth or, or appendicitis that they need to be treated. But for, non, for symptoms that are chronic, um, symptom-based uh, diseases like you know, irritable bowel syndrome, um, you know, chronic fatigue, things like that, uh, you may see an overall improvement. Uh, I think the, one of the classic studies that was done, but again, done by uh, Ted and uh, colleagues uh, at the Brigham Women's, where it was an asthma study where we know the physiological mechanisms whereby people may get asthma from spasm of the bronchi. Uh, there, they were able to show that a placebo inhaler was equivalent to um, albuterol, you know, a bronchodilator, um, based on symptoms, but not based on physiological effects. So when you looked at the FEV1, which is a physiological measure, they got better with with the bronchodilator, but not with the placebo. But again, symptoms were were equivalent. The other thing to remember that it's not just based in someone's head. We always think, oh, it's just a, is it real? But actually, if there are physiological effects that occur from placebo, and part of placebo can be blocked by, um, for example, blocking uh, the opioid receptors uh, can be shown to reduce the placebo effect. And among others, there are are many different mechanisms whereby placebo can occur. Uh, 
Uh, there were even brain imaging studies going back decades where where the placebo had the same changes as the the effect of the medication itself. Um, I, I think about uh, when doctors are prescribing medications, the way in which they conduct the treatment, if they believe in the medication, it may have more of an effect than if they don't believe in the medication. Is that not correct? Is that something you observed as well? Yes, I mean, it's, so, so the way uh, medications are presented to patients uh, by building up their expectation of, of, the, of the drug can have a effect. There have been several studies that have shown that. Um, so uh, yes, the way it's presented to a patient, the way the patient believes that it, how, how effective the patient thinks the drug might be or a treatment may be will, can affect the placebo response as well. Sarah, do you have any thoughts or suggestions when patients are coming to doctors um, and they're really negative about taking a medication, let's say a neuromodulator, is there any guidelines that that we can tell people, the audience, the doctors, about how to approach it? They mm -hmm. say, I don't want this medication. I'm not crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, we actually just um, published a pilot study. So a very small study. We need to replicate it with a larger sample. Um, but looking at exactly that question, how to address possible side effects of medications such as neuromodulators. Um, and we found that um, it looked like there was a trend towards there being a difference between the two groups that we tested. One group got just the standard of care where a physician would give them um, the neuromodulator and explain the possible side effects. And the other group got um, the the same list of possible side effects, but an explanation of um, the nocebo effect. And sometimes just knowing that a medication could cause a side effect or perhaps worrying or anticipating that side effect um, can increase the likelihood that the side effect will happen. Um, and we found that there were, you know, of course, small differences because it was a small um, a small sample, but there were differences in how patients um, tolerated those medications. And so I think there are ways that we can discuss these medications um, with patients in order for it to improve kind of patients' likelihood of success, um, especially taking medications that might be stigmatized um, or be associated with high rates of, of side effects. Very important study. Thank you for that. Um, any other thoughts um, that you think would be helpful to the group from either of you about placebo and nocebo that might be helpful for us? Sarah, I don't know if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I think that this idea of open label placebo, you know, it's such a it's such a new concept, but there it's there's so many you know different directions that this can go in in terms of helping patients to feel better. You know, the, the nice thing about placebo is that there are no side effects except for the nocebo effect. It's safe. Um, it you know is probably tapping into this mind-body connection. Um, and so I think you know some of the research that's been coming out in IBS and other conditions in terms of open label placebo perhaps being um, a way to improve symptoms is you know really exciting kind of new direction um, or new treatment opportunity. Yeah, and we've spent, you know, uh, the last like 40 years trying to decrease the placebo effect, uh, for example, in, clin in clinical trials, rather than really embracing it and trying to augment the placebo effect in clinical practice. 
And we, that's what we really want to do. And I think the open label placebo is part of that, trying to really get uh, acceptance among clinicians and patients uh, that we can really uh, embrace the placebo effect and, and augment it and get the most benefit from it, um, again, without any real side effects associated with it. It's not going to fix all medical problems, uh, but it can help some problems, particularly where there's not very good treatments and where it's a symptom-based issue. Yeah, this is a wonderful point because placebo and nocebo overarch clinical care. I mean, it's not the the effect of the drug, it's also the effect of the drug plus the attribution made to it by the doctor toward the patient about the drug or the patient's perception. And that can be modified just by telling them the side effects or even telling them that it could be, well, I wouldn't think we want to tell them it's placebo in clinical practice as much as a study, but it's the same idea that it can really affect how we make uh, responses in clinical care. Well, thank you very much. This has been excellent. Johanna, any last minute thoughts? No, I think it's a fascinating area of research too. I, I actually, I brought it to Doug because I had heard an, an NPR segment um, featuring some of, of Ted's work and interviews with Ted and, and some of the patients involved in some of your trials. And it was so fascinating to hear how they had gotten onto the road of recovery through placebo treatment. Um, and that patient-doctor relationship was so key in, in the process. So I thought it was something really important for our patients to hear about and for our, our clinical um, providers to hear about as well. So thank you very much to both of you. If you have any questions for Dr. Lembo or Dr. Ballou, please let us know. We'll pass those on and get those to you as usual. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. A wonderful weekend. And we'll see you real soon. Bye now. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Foundation Ross and Care podcast series. Find more helpful tips, downloadable resources, videos, and more on our website at therumfoundation.org. Look under the resource tab for our patient Q&A videos, gut feelings blog, articles, and more. Have you purchased your copy of Gut Feelings Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction and Patient-Provider Relationship book yet? Be sure to find that on the Rome Foundation website and place your order or find us on Amazon as well. We look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Gut Feelings. This has been your host, Johanna Ruddy.